Okay. Well, is there anything else we want to cover before we get started? Uh, I don't know. It's your show. It's your show, man. <laughs> okay. Just making sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we can go ahead and do the thing. I'll hit the button. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cinescope. We are talking about The Terminator today. We'll talk about why that might be significant here in a minute. But I'm here talking with good friend, old friend, podcasting co-host, TJ Draper. How are you doing, TJ? I'm doing well. How are you? You and your fancy uh, podcasting mixer playing all your music and stuff. Yeah, it's it's still a fun toy, <laughs> except yeah. for when my cat jumps up on the desk and pushes buttons. Um, oh no! <laughs> which happened the last time we recorded, but we'll see what happens. I listened today. to that episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to talk about the Terminator. It was released October twenty sixth of nineteen eighty four. This is the first film of the franchise. It was directed by James Cameron, who also directed Aliens. The Abyss, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, True Lies, Ghosts of the Abyss, Aliens of the Deep. Those last two are documentaries. And then most recently, Avatar, the 2009 Blue People movie. And he's presumably <laughs> directing the, the following three, which have been delayed countless times. Three or four. I don't remember at this point. Has it been delayed 10 years now or something? I don't know. It's been a long time. It's been delayed for quite a long time. And again, even further because of all the COVID quarantine stuff. Chad, revelation, I've never seen any of the Avatar films, and I'm just not that interested. A any of? Or, like the? I, I, I said any because you were talking about them, plural. I meant the one. The one. You haven't seen it? Yeah. Okay. I have not. Well, okay. I mean, I can't shame you for that. It's not like amazing story-wise like this movie is. Spoiler. <laughs> but the, the technological achievements of that movie, and I'm assuming the sequels whenever we get them, is worth witnessing. Yes, but Cameron is now um, trumpeting, you know, 48 frames a second, and I'm really not into that. So it, it, makes, yeah. me, it makes me irritated at him. It's just on yeah. principle. <laughs> <laughs> well, this movie was written by Cameron, which is significant because the two movies that I'm most familiar with from James Cameron, Titanic and Avatar, they were written by him, I believe, but it wasn't like original content from him. They borrow heavily from other things. Titanic is a true story for crying out loud, aside from you know, the romantic part. Well, the movie, I don't know, because I was actually just at the Titanic Museum mm -hmm. um, and uh, a couple months ago, we all had to wear masks. Um, anyway, they talked about the movie a little bit and it's not that accurate. <laughs> There's really? a lot inaccurate in the movie. Anyway, anyway, I'm sorry. I keep interjecting. Well, it's okay. The, the point is that this was like completely out of the brain of James yes, Cameron and doesn't indeed. borrow heavily from anything else, which I thought was really cool and made me appreciate it all the more. He shares a screenwriting credit with Gail Ann Hurd, although in my research, it shows that uh, she didn't actually write anything. She was just instrumental in sort of helping him get it off the ground and in producing it. Yeah. The music is by a name that's not super familiar to people, including to myself. His name is Brad Fidel. He also composes scores for Fright Night, The Big Easy T2, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, True Lies, and then a movie called Johnny Mnemonic. I really had to scrape to, to include some films, <laughs> but I hadn't heard of most of those. The only work of his that I'm familiar with is, is ter the Terminator series. The movie stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Michael Bien, Linda Hamilton, and Paul Winfield. And you've added some notes about the budget here. Did you want to talk about that? I did, and I added it because um, when I was watching it last night, um, it just struck, struck me 
how you can clearly see that it's a low budget movie and it also it clearly doesn't matter <laughs> I mean, because it's right, just it's an enjoyable movie but you can clearly see the budgetary constraints but then you look at it and go oh it was made on six million four hundred thousand dollars and that is a very small budget at the time i mean obviously now it'd be peanuts mm-hmm. it's star trek 2 two years before it also starring by the way paul winfield it was considered low budget at 11 million so just a little over twice you know Six million four hundred thousand times two is a little more than eleven million, but not much. So, oops, and I pasted the wrong total here on the box office total. I don't remember. Yeah, it was, was. seventy eight point three million. There you go. Uh, and what's incredible too is it it has a one hundred percent on the tomato meter. There are very few films that, that get one hundred percent from all the critics. Yeah, I will say as far as like the special effects and everything goes, everything I thought holds up pretty well. Like there wasn't anything I thought. It's okay. Eh. Yeah. Eh. It's old. You can really tell. The only thing, and it made me laugh. This isn't at all criticism. It's just, it's, it was made on $6 million in 1984 when he was fixing his eye. And yes. it was clearly an animatronic Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that made me laugh. Well, I have more about that when we get to that section. I don't know if you want mm-hmm. me to talk about it now or then. But um... Well, let's talk about our first experience with it. Okay. And then we can get into that. So what was your first experience with this movie? Well, as you might imagine, it is a very R-rated film, and it was not some, it, it was something that I was aware of when I was growing up. Um, I was born in 82, so I'm a little bit older than you, Chad. I, I think I bring that up every time I'm on the show because yeah, I probably. feel like such an old man. Uh, old man TJ. So I was born in 82, the film came out in 84, and it was something, as I was a kid, I was aware that my dad liked Schwarzenegger in general and really liked the Terminator film. But obviously, he's like, maybe one day you'll get to see it and it'll be a lot of fun, but you know, it's, it's a little too much for you right now. So I didn't get to watch it till I was an adult. Probably, I would say, 13 or 14, maybe 15 years ago is when I first saw it. So I was in my early 20s. And it was not what I was expecting, really. That doesn't mean it wasn't good, because I loved watching it. But somehow, I just didn't know the, like, the details of the film. Like I didn't realize that, uh, spoiler alert, that the Terminator was going to be a machine. I thought he was like a guy with a mission or something, you know? And, and mm-hmm. I thought that he was going to be the protagonist, Schwarzenegger, and he wasn't the protagonist at all. <laughs> and right. So it's it very interesting. Like my first experience with the film just sort of broke all my expectations, but in a, in a way that was enjoyable. So yeah, especially in my early 20s, I had not seen very many R-rated films and not R-rated for upper body nudity, which I wasn't expecting. So that was mm-hmm. also interesting. <laughs> it's, it's not a lot, but it's a, it's a flash here and there. So I, I said the movies I'm most familiar with from James Cameron are Titanic and Avatar. And Titanic was 97, so it's not like super old. 1984, I'm not saying that's super old either, but he had a lot of filmography that came out before Titanic. <laughs> yes, you are, Chad. You are totally... <laughs> I'm only saying it's old in reference to you, TJ. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I, I knew he was associated with like the Alien franchise. I knew he was associated with Terminator. I just hadn't experienced those. I literally, literally knew nothing about this movie aside from some buzzwords. And a mm. couple of them even didn't even come from this movie. Like T-1000 I knew was a thing, but that's not this movie. Skynet is only mentioned one time. One time. But I knew Skynet and I knew Sarah Connor. Of course, yeah. That, I, mean, I mean, there's certainly some things that have sort of transcended into the culture, right? That are just references. Right. You might not even, I'll be back. You know, you might even not know where that came from, you know? Right. I did know that. But what I did not know was Terminator was come with me if you want to live. That caught me off guard when that, that line was given by oh, really? Reese okay, to yeah. Sarah. Yes. And like you, I was not aware. I was not sure if Arnold was the Terminator or a Terminator. I, I didn't know if there'd be multiple of them in this movie. I didn't know if he was a good guy or bad guy. It becomes pretty clear pretty fast. But that was just 
the level of my blindness going into this movie, which I really appreciated because it made this a really fresh viewing experience for me and helped me enjoy it even more, I think. What was the giveaway that he was the bad guy when he grabs the guy and rips out his heart? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, it's like the first thing in the movie. <laughs> yeah. So that was my experience with it prior to this viewing. And so I was really enjoying my watch through today because it, I mean, turns out it's a great movie. Who'd have thought? <laughs> yeah, it's a classic for a reason. It's interesting. I enjoyed it when I first watched it. And then, of course, I was watching the whole Terminator series. So I watched T2, which is still the epitome of Terminatorness. And so I can't wait to get to that one and talk about it with you. So I think that sort of lowered my opinion of this film after I watched T2. I'm like, oh, well, clearly you have to have this film to get to T2, but like T2 is better in every way. But then watching it again last night, I was like, you know, this is a pretty steady, decent, good. I mean, T2 is still the best, but it's a good film. Like I enjoyed just sitting there and rewatching it. And, and, you know, I hadn't seen it probably in eight or 10 years. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I still haven't seen T2. We will talk about it probably the next time you're on the show. Yes, that's what I'm hoping. Which is exciting because I'm really excited to talk about it now at this point. Um, Well, after seeing it, I need to see it first. Well, I don't want to build it up too much because that's a way to spoil a film for people. But I I will just say that it improves upon this film, I would think, in every way. Right. I mean, and it is the one that people talk about. When people talk about the Terminator movies, T2 is always the one that is held up as the highest. And I know that even not being familiar with like story elements of things, I knew that T2 was supposed to be like the best. I was even looking at a a list on Letterboxd yesterday, like the 250 best narrative driven films or something like that. And T2 is on that list. Yeah, for sure. And, And for good reason. But, you know, coming back to this film, like, I think this film, just watching it last time, like, you know, I, and given how early it was, 1984, like, there's certainly been good sci-fi before it, <clears throat> Star Trek too. but, like, it's had, I think, a tremendous impact on sci-fi and action films uh, that have mm-hmm. come after it. I, I think there's a lot of stuff in here that's sort of the seed for a lot of stuff that has developed and that you see now. So let's go ahead and move on to talking about story. I just want to highlight the, the future that it's painting the the in 2029 the there's only ruins of buildings there's there's tanks rolling over piles of skulls i mean that's a bleak future that it's setting up from the get-go the very Mm -hmm. first shot of the film and then Mm -hmm. we have that 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 title card that's telling us i I didn't fully understand the title card the first time where it said they're going to be fighting in our present it it didn't occur to me it probably should have but it didn't occur to me that they were talking about their present 1984 when they made the movie yeah and i will say reading it like last night when i was watching the film it it definitely felt a little like oh if i didn't know like and i don't remember the first time i watched it whether i had a problem with it or not but i felt like if i didn't already know what was happening i would find it a little phrasing odd yeah it was a little odd but then right after the title sequence where we get the main theme and the the title card pops up we they tell us that we're in 1984 so i was able to quickly figure out what it meant oh okay yeah 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 I, i understand at this point yeah, and it's interesting, you talk about the painting of the future, and, and so normally you talk about it being post-apocalyptic, right? Because it's, there's been an apocalypse, and you're in, in the postness of it. Mm-hmm. But this is interesting in that you get that glimpse of the post-apocalyptic future, but then you're in the past, or the present, as the case may be. And so you're not really post-apocalyptic, you're pre-apocalyptic. So it's a very interesting twist on the theme, right, of, of the post-apocalyptic dark future. Though the way that as we get into 1984 and we have the appearance of the, the Terminator, then we have the appearance of Reese. In fact, I haven't even corrected in my notes this time. I, I put mystery for so long because we don't find out his name until like halfway through the movie, which <laughs> I, I loved the mystery of everything. I loved that we see that these two people 
or one person, you get the point. They're looking for the same person and how they go about finding her is really fantastic. I, I love the mystery of who Sarah is and why she's important. Like I said before, I, I knew the name Sarah Connor and I, I mean, maybe I knew a couple vague bits, but I didn't know the full story of why she's so important and why these two people would be after her. So I really appreciated the mystery of this and we don't get the big expository, this is what's happening and why scene until, again, an hour into this hour, 45 minute movie. Yeah, and I think that's something modern films just don't have the patience for. And that's something I appreciate about these older films like this is that they have the patience to get to the point later. <laughs> like, and that's that's wonderful. It really builds the suspense. And and you see when he rips out the page of the phone book and he's sort of going through the list methodically, the Terminator, he's like Sarah Connor, this Sarah Connor, this. I mean, and that's exactly the way a machine would do if they don't have all the information. We'll just, you know, and especially one that's already nuked civilization in the future. Like, well, we'll just we'll just take every one of these Sarah Connors in the phone book out, you know, and it's just so methodical and so chilling, really, the way that that operates. What else about the story stands out to you? Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of a sucker for dark apocalyptic sci-fi. I almost said post-apocalyptic, but it's it's like I said, it's sort of post then pre. Mm-hmm. So I'm sort of a sucker for that. And of course, don't get me wrong. I I love the less dark variety too. Like Star Trek: The Next Generation is some of my favorite Star Trek, and it is it is very happy and humans all are wonderful and everything is turned out rosy. But you know, sometimes you, you like to see the darker stuff because it feels like it's more reality based. It's based more on what we know because we look around at the humans around us and we're like, oh, this is the future that we see here is definitely possible. The future that we see in Terminator, just just based on the kind of the our own experience and so it's it's also i think it, there's there's less of a suspension of disbelief that you have with something more like the next generation uh, just to use that as an example and as someone who who works on software for a living the part that you do have to spend suspend your disbelief about is that it's it's sort of unlikely to me that we're going to create any sort of meaningful artificial intelligence by 2029 20, or before because obviously the apocalypse happens before that but it's an interesting concept and you have to wonder which way it would go. And then, you, you know, when I'm, I'm dealing with all these bugs and these logic flaws and the algorithms and things over time, and you're like, yeah, um, <laughs> you, if we created artificial intelligence, it would definitely be extremely flawed. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and of course, Asimov, uh, he gave us the three laws of robotics, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which, which is fun. And he does a lot of playing with that. But this, this scenario is more like, no, there's nothing like that. You know, we didn't right. we didn't have the four humans didn't have the foresight to give ro- to give artificial intelligence the three laws. And so um, they they uh, they they created their own destruction, basically, in, in the way they created the software of this, this AI of Skynet. That's what's so scary about the Terminator himself is that and the, the future that results from the creation of this artificial intelligence is that it's not necessarily the way I understood it, at least. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. And keep in mind, I don't have the background of the other movies that follow either. Right. But the way it's presented here is that the artificial intelligence itself isn't like smart. It's more like ruthless. And so these machines are terrorizing because it's what they were programmed to do, maybe in a sense, or like or what they decided to do. Right. And so he I think it's Reese at one point makes a, a statement that they're not very smart necessarily. They're kind of stupid and there's ways that they can sort of hoodwink them, but just because of knowing that fact and seeing how the Terminator operates in this movie and how once something gets in between him and accomplishing his goal, they, they are thrown by the wayside. They're instantly wiped away without a second thought. I think that's even scarier than maybe having a smart villain because this is something that, that doesn't, I'm trying to think of the right word, 
uh, doesn't discern. It has no discernment between what it kills and what it doesn't. Yeah, and you kind of see that at the end of the film where that robot, it doesn't discern, it doesn't feel pain, it's not very smart, it just keeps coming, and it just keeps coming, and it just keeps coming. And, right. you know, the only way you can stop it is to basically utterly destroy it. And, yeah, it's very chilling in that way. I don't know, to your point about how stupid the machines are, I feel like it's more of an open question even throughout the rest of the series. We don't know the level of intelligence or even the reasons why the machines did what they did. To my knowledge, I... I don't think I've seen every Terminator film. I, I know I saw, obviously, T2. I don't remember much about the third one. I think it was good, but I don't remember, so I'm, I'm anxious to watch it again now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in my, at least in my memory, we don't really get an answer to the question, how smart are the robots? What, what, why did they do what they do? Um, or the artificial intelligence, whatever the case may be. So right. yeah, I, I don't know. And, and I think it's, it's a mystery, and it's, it's sort of just left to our imagination. Right, and maybe it's a difference between the, the Skynet or the artificial intelligence that did sort of wipe out humanity and then the Terminators themselves. The Terminators themselves might be the more ruthless, direct, no discernment kind of things. And then the, the thing that's pulling the puppet strings, as it were, is a lot smarter. Who knows? Perhaps. We, yeah, we don't really know. But certainly you're right, certainly about the, uh, the Terminator is he's not, mm-hmm. not that bright. Yeah, the, the things might change in T2. Uh, <laughs> so um, as, as far as, as the Terminator goes. The other interesting thing about the story that I found compelling, and, and you kind of mentioned how not a lot of this is explained until we get toward the, later in the film, but it's, it's really bootstrap paradox, right? The machine sends a machine agent you know, back in time to stop the birth of John Connor, and that winds up causing the birth of, of John Connor, right. uh, which, is, which is, you know, I always love those, those sorts of things. Yeah, and I, I want to, I don't know if toot my horn is the right phrase I want to use here because maybe you don't have to be that smart to figure it out. I got to the point where I realized he's probably going to end up being John Connor's father. Oh, well, they, um, they telegraph that super hard. They do. <laughs> but I mean, I was still really proud of myself it being my first time and not knowing that ahead of time. Yeah. But this is getting ahead of story a little bit, but that's okay. The thing that I didn't connect was the realization that Reese is John Connor's father means that the picture that Kyle was carrying around was given to him by John mm-hmm. because he knew who he was and that he was sending his own father to his death. Or at least that's what it now means. Yes. And so that is something that didn't occur to me. Yeah. Well, that's the sort of thing that the film re- rewards repeated viewings uh, because uh-huh. when you watch it now with, with information that you have and you see the picture the first time and then you see the picture at the end that's taken at the end of the film, like those mm-hmm. are the sorts of subtle, wonderful little things that this film does where, you know, it starts out super actiony, and there's lots of action and lots of action and lots of action. And then you realize at some point, like, oh, there's actually story here. And I didn't even realize it. It sort of sneaks in on you. And that was my favorite part of the story, too, was the, the, the revelation that, well, he doesn't, John never talked about his father. I don't know much about him. I know he died before the war, and then mm. she cuts him off. And mm-hmm. then through what happens in the next scene or two, it's pretty clear, at least it was to me, and I'm sure to you, that oh, wow, this, this is his father because of yeah. what, what's occurring between these two people. And the wonderful thing about this film, too, is it doesn't spell a lot of things out for you. And so then you're left to, to the imagination to go, okay, well, this son who's leading the war effort and he's this big hero, and, and yet his father is a soldier under him, but his father doesn't know he's his father. And so they have this dynamic. And you can tell just from the very few hints that there's definitely a little bit of a special relationship there between leader and soldier that usually wouldn't exist, but like you sort of, it's all sort of just left to the imagination. You don't really know what happened there or what the story was other than that. For some reason, you know, John Connor gave Kyle Reese this photo of his mother and, you know, Kyle Reese kept it in, in like 
fell in love with this idea and then went and actually fell in love with the real person, which mm-hmm. is, yeah. So I wonder, I want to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that the version of time travel depicted here is in line with the Prisoner of Azkaban version of time travel? Or because the way they, they introduce it here is that the 2029 we see at the beginning of the movie is a possible future of yes. what is happening in 1984. But then everything we see that follows sort of hints that maybe this is something that was always going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Well, like in Prisoner of Azkaban, yeah. everything that happens over the course of the movie already happened and it's not going to be changed at, at what all whatsoever. They right, were right. just acting within what was already happening. So, so you're talking about the predestination theory of time travel. Yes. Which is my favorite version of time travel it's the it maybe because it's the easiest for my brain to get around i don't have to keep track of all the various timelines it's just one continuous timeline and what has already happened happened and you were part of it or not based on how you traveled um yes and and, and so yes i you're opening a can of worms but i will say (laughs) as far as the this film contained in a bottle you are absolutely correct that is the time that is the theory of time travel Okay, great. The can of worms is that that is not the way time travel works in this franchise later. <laughs> okay. I, I kind of assumed as much, but... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> great. Well, let's talk about characters, and we can talk about the Terminator himself mainly because he's not like a character that goes through growth or something, so we can just sort of talk about how scary he is. <laughs> yes. I think even though it's very clearly some animatronic work uh, later in the film, there's some really things that just even though it's so clear that it's animatronic it also just makes my skin crawl some of the things that he's cutting into his flesh with the knife and the tearing out the eyeball that's torn up and uh-huh. uh oh you know um there's this wonderful article on ascmag.com so the american society of cinematographers it's a magazine there's an article i put it in the show notes hopefully i don't know what your cms is like hopefully you can get those in the that in the show notes for the podcast but it's an article I highly recommend, and it talks about some of the filmmaking techniques used to create that scene and other scenes on this low budget. And one thing that stands out to me is they talk about the way that they created, you don't even realize is that you are filling in a lot of the details because they couldn't show some of this stuff. And so uh-huh. all you see, you know, I could have sworn, I sw- Chad, I swear to you, I saw him cutting out his eyeball. But then when you think about it, you didn't see it, but he t- drops the eyeball in the water. And you had seen the knife go up to the eye, like just these sorts of filmmaking techniques. And it's sort of your imagination fills in the rest. It's really, really interesting as far as that goes. And I know I'm, I think I'm talking about filmmaking now, but it's <laughs> relevant to the Terminator as a character, of course. Which is, Yeah, I mean, you're, you're getting kind of grossed out by the idea of what he is doing rather, or what could be doing theoretically doing, even if you don't see yes. him. And so it's just that the, the presentation of, is, wouldn't this be gross <laughs> yeah. if we showed you this? And you get sort of sque- squeamed out by that itself, which is really great budget filmmaking. Yeah, there's several moments throughout this film that, that really, if you're squeamish, you're going to have a, a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From the moment he first drops into the world, the way he kind of assimilates, and we see this a couple times throughout the movie as well, he assimilates by coming across the three punks. Give me your clothes. And he repeats their words. It's like he's trying to adapt to the dialect or to the language or whatever. And then you see how ruthless he is right off the bat. You mentioned this already by killing them like without a hesitation. And I, I wrote in my notes here at this point, I say, and the way it would seem, he's the bad guy. <laughs> so it's pretty clear <laughs> really fast. Yeah. 
it's a wonderful technique too to sort of diffuse the moments. So you get that really like he ripped out the guy's heart, and you're just sitting there going, "Did I just see that?" And then then the other guy, he's like, <laughs> starts taking off his clothes. He's like, "Of course, you can have my clothes." You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and, and as if, of course, you know, also suspension of disbelief, as if those that skinny punk kids clothes are going to fit big old you know mr peck's arnold schwarzenegger right <laughs> but then just seeing the the terror that he inspires in the rest of the film we've seen how brutal he can be one-on-one both in that scene and the scene where he goes to the the first couple of sarah connors and knocks them out pretty quickly and then we see yes taking out sarah's roommate and then all of a sudden he learns that sarah's at tech noir and we see him show up in a huge crowd of people and we worry what's he going to do how many lives is it going to cost all of them. And at, when he sees her and approaches, the future music drowns out the dance music. And it's just a perfectly tense moment because, you know, I mean, obviously stuff's going to go down, but we've never seen at this point in the film stuff go down to that extent. And then after that dramatic fight sequence, then we have a couple of really cool car chases. We're at the police station later. And that even tops the dance club scene. Massacre is probably the best word to use it. But man, it's it's such it's so intense and seeing how scary he can be in his lack of expression and his lack of showing any kind of outward humanity aside from just looking like one. I mean, it's fantastic. And again, I'm, I'm blurring the lines here, but because we're talking about the car chase scene and stuff like in that article, there is a, a part where they, where the cinematographer talks about the lighting used. And because the, the cars probably never got over 35 or 40 miles an hour, but they look like they're going much faster because they're, they're whizzing lights by and they're, they're turning lights on and off to give you the effect as if things are going by much faster. And it's really effective. I mean, that's the part of the filmmaking that really holds up so well it, mm-hmm. for a 1984 film is the car chase stuff. Like it's maybe not quite on par with, with the craziness you would get in a car chase today, but it's, I actually like it better because it does hold up well. It does feel real. And you can follow it all. <laughs> it's not right. necessarily true in a modern car chase. You can't follow wherever. You can't. The geography of car chases today is just dumb. <laughs> right. <laughs> the moment that I wrote, oh, snap, in my notes was when he imitates the officer's voice while pursuing Sarah and Reese in the, the police car. That perfectly sets up later in the film. You know he's going to visit the mom in the cabin because he found her address book. Yep. And then Sarah calls her mom from the hotel. And we cut to the scene of the cabin and you immediately know what's gone down Oh yeah, because the, the door is crashed down. The scene is a wreck and we get to the Terminator and he's doing a perfect imitation of her mom. And it is chilling. It's so good. Right. Which was set up because we'd already seen him do that because he had imitated the officer's voice. And that, that like the, the scene at first you think it's a throwaway, right? Because the, when he imitates the officer's voice, it, do, it does nothing for the story, but, it, but right. it does later. And you're like, oh, so he can imitate voices. And so when you do that cut, even though you're still panning across everything and it takes a long time to get up to him, you know what's happening. And it just sort of increases the tension as you're panning across. And, and you're screaming to yourself, you know, oh, Sarah, don't do it. Don't do it. And, and it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything else to say about the Terminator? The Terminator? Yeah. <laughs> The governor. Just, just that he's, um, as you say, he's wonderfully emotionless. I think that I, I used to think that Schwarzenegger wasn't much for acting, and I think as I've started to really think more critically about his films, I think he actually has some good acting chops. I mean, in order to pull off the emotion, the complete emotionlessness that he did in this film, I think takes some acting chops, and I think he did a really good job. 
Yeah, and there are a couple of his other 80s efforts I want to explore because I've heard really good things about them, like Conan the Barbarian and stuff like that. So yes. I'm looking forward to revisiting more of him in addition to more of the Terminator. And I guess we should, before we move completely on from the Terminator himself, mention the final moments of the movie when he just goes full Terminator and is no longer part cyborg or part human whatsoever. Mm. He's just this cold steel metal frame and outwardly scary in addition to just being like a, a looming presence. And I'll say that when it's the real prop, it works the best. Some of the right. animated stuff is pretty, that's the part of the, I think that's the part that shows its age the most. Like they weren't able mm-hmm. to do it as well as, as they would, would have liked probably. And, and it looks pretty fake, but when it's the real like prop that they're using and they do it really well, it, it, yeah, it's very chilling. And you've just got this metal robot, this metal uh, skeleton that's coming after and just keeps coming and just keeps coming and just keeps coming. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty intense. Well, then we have Kyle Reese. And when he first appears, it's pretty clear that he's different than the Terminator. Again, to me, uh, a new viewer, not knowing if there'd be multiple Terminators or anything like that. I guess I should have known from the title. It's one Terminator, but whatever. (laughs) He clearly didn't work out as much. (laughs) Right. He didn't work out as much, but (laughs) additionally, he's battle-worn and he's scarred. So you can tell the way his body is shredded like literally shredded, not like ripped. Like (laughs) why is everything related to being ripped and torn? Right. Uh, Right. Muscular. (laughs) That's not what I mean. You're talking about scars, actual knife and bullet wounds. So, you know, he's human right off the bat and you see how he's sort of averse to conflict. He's not as cold blooded as the Terminator is. I keep using these human phrases and it doesn't necessarily, everybody understands what I'm talking about, but he doesn't kill the man living in the alley when he takes his pants. He runs from the police rather than fight or confront them or try and stand off. So Mm -hmm. again, pretty clear. He's not a Terminator. And from that point to the point where basically they're in the parking garage, there's not as much character stuff for him, but we get to the exposition scene. And that's like the first moment where we learn a whole lot about him in the parking garage. And he communicates the horrors of the future so convincingly. And even though we saw some of it ourselves, he brings so much more reality to that potential future because you can tell that this guy has seen some, quote, stuff, you know? Well, and I like that you get just a little bit before they get to the exposition scene in the, in the garage. And I like that, that Sarah doesn't just immediately believe him. And she, she's like, whatever you want, don't, don't hurt me. Just, you know. And she doesn't mm-hmm. believe him until, it, you know, and then he has to prove that he's actually trying to save her and this other guy's trying to kill her. And I, I think that's pretty well done. And then later we learn more about his, his childhood. I, I, say, I would say his past, but that's a paradox. <laughs> his future? Because he learned to make nitroglycerin as a kid. He talks about when he was a kid and the horrors of the world he grew up in. And we see glimpses of that when the Terminator infiltrates the base in the future of these individuals who are living this absolutely horrible life. Everything is dark and they do a great job of in those quote flashbacks showing the horrors of this potential future, this apocalypse there's people starving. There's kids chasing down rats for presumably food, I would assume. Yes. And other things. It's not a happy future. And to have a Terminator infiltrate that society and to have that be an additional threat in addition to just the lack of everything else that humanity had enjoyed for so long, we get a lot of the whole story through Kyle Reese. And I really appreciate that from him. I've never seen him in anything else, the actor that I'm aware of or that I can remember. But he, mm-hmm. he definitely does a really good job, I think, and in, 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 in is an effective, he, he really brings out this character 
So yeah, he does a really good job with that. You can't really talk about Reese without talking about Sarah Connor, because the growth that happens involves them both. It's not really, you can't really separate them. So I'm ready to move on to Sarah, or it really probably will reveal more about Reese, really. What I like about Sarah, again, she was one of the names I knew from this franchise, or the name I knew from this franchise. Right. And we see her, and she's like a normal person, and she's working a waitress job, and we can only assume that the, the reason these people, the Terminator and Reese, are looking for her is because of something yet to come in the future, something that we don't know about. Yeah. There's been no hint of it. We see her coworkers at the restaurant show or the news story about a Sarah Connor being killed, and oh, it's just kind of a sick joke, and it's not really funny to her, but whatever. It's just a, a coincidence. And then she's at the bar later, and there are two Sarah Connors who have died. It's not funny anymore. And she realizes she's next on the list. So I like that she is smart. When she hears about the Sarah Connors getting killed, she's instantly wary of strangers following her. She instantly calls the police and she does what she can to protect herself, which is more than can be said about a lot of women (laughs) in horror movies in the 80s. You you mean like her friend? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's a a stark contrast. I mean, you you realize pretty quickly that uh, Sarah Connor is the... I guess the brainier one, I don't know of a better way to put it. I mean, and, and there's definitely some, some stereotyping going on there with the, the big 80s hair and the kind of the, she's off to party and that sort of thing. So you even get some maturity from Sarah in the opening, like when the, when the guy that was supposed to pick her up just left a message on her machine. Hey, can't make it. Sorry about that. And she's like, oh, hmm, oh, well. So there's, there's some maturity there. You get the impression her friend, I can't remember her name, but I don't think she would have taken it quite as well. <laughs> I'm trying to remember her name too uh ginger i thought it was ginger but then i thought that doesn't i don't know that's weird yeah, yeah. okay yep 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 i'm see it here so ginger but you know even after she is brought into this world of the terminator chasing her down and reese protecting her she remains a normal person she's not suddenly a badass she's still scared she still suffers when she learns of ginger and her boyfriend being killed yeah and you know she's told about this life that she hasn't lived yet and so we see the potential of who sarah connor's might be because of the results of this which i think is fantastic it gives us more to hope for in the sequel because we we know based on what happens in this movie how it ends her time in mexico whatever she's been down there doing she might be this badass character that reese described to her and so we have that to look forward to but here She's just being a normal person who's caught up in something that she didn't ask for. I, I agree with all that. I don't know what else I have to add. I mean, <laughs> I, when I think of Sarah Connor, I mostly think of T2. So I do think of a spoiler alert. I think of a badass. But, but yeah. here, you know, you're right. She's making that progression. Like she's, she doesn't immediately like become the gun-toting, going to fight off the Terminator person. And in fact, she holds a gun. But does she ever fire a gun? I don't even remember that she does. But certainly the way she gets away from the Terminator at the end is by running and crushing him with, with machinery. And, and it's almost by accident that she was in the right place. And that all makes sense with her character. But she also showed great courage. She was, you know, willing to field dress wounds on, on Kyle Reese. And yeah, I, I think she's a great character that has a lot of room to grow, but it's not like she's in a bad spot to begin with. So it's, it's a very, very well done character. You mentioned this earlier, but just going a little further with it, she's logical too. She's not necessary. She's not exactly trusting of Reese in the beginning. She's not necessarily untrusting once they they go on that big car trace. But she they get to the police station, and I mean his story was a hard one to believe. She doesn't know what yeah. to go for, and so Reese is interrogated by the therapist or whatever and she says so is he crazy like she needs that validation and oh okay he's crazy but then when 
the stuff hits the fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the Terminator shows up and kills everybody. And Reese saves her once again. There's no hesitation anymore. It's just like, okay, this man has been telling me the truth the whole time. And so it's... Yeah. Well, he's proved himself at that point. Right. And it's, a, it's just a logical progression for her. And, you know, in the future, or, or in the end of the movie, I love seeing her knowing about the future to come, knowing about the baby she's currently carrying and preparing for that and sort of setting things in motion, knowing what's going to be coming and what role she has to play in it. Yeah, yeah. She faces the role that she has with courage. And, and it's, it's really, mm-hmm. really great, especially in, in coming out of an era and even in the era, you know, women weren't always portrayed as strong, courageous characters. And, and so it's really kind of ahead of its time in that way. And I really appreciate that about it. I do too. Uh, did you have any other characters to mention? I mean, we've got the, the Detective Traxler and the rest of the police force. Well, just that Paul Winfield as, uh, is it Detective Traxler? Is that, yeah, that's him. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a great little cameo performance from Paul Winfield. I mean, I've never seen Paul Winfield be bad in anything. I love the little, just little, little bits and character moments where, you know, he's picking up the coffee, he says, drop a cigarette button that, and he doesn't, he doesn't even miss a beat. He just keeps right on drinking it and down in whatever pill he's taken. It's, it's, he's, he's pretty great. And at the end of the day, like he's, he gets shot by the Terminator, but he's willing to face him and do whatever it takes to protect. So again, very small perform, you know, very small role, but uh, wonderful in it. I liked Detective Traxler, especially what I liked about him versus the rest of the police force and the, 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 the couple other characters we saw was that, you know, I get the sense that he doesn't entirely think that Reese is necessarily lying or crazy, whereas the others are so quick to dismiss him. But even if he, even if he doesn't fully believe him, the fact is that none of them are prepared for what the Terminator is capable of, and it, it leads to them all being killed. Well, just put yourself in the position. Like, you know, it, it's easy from our position to make fun of, the, of them when they're, when they're watching that tape back and laughing at the, the, their psychoanalysis of, of, the, of uh, Kyle Reese and how crazy he is. But, like, so put yourself in their position, though. Like, it's, if somebody came to you and said that they were from the future and that machines had destroyed and, and nuked everybody and he'd come back to save somebody so that, that the future could look better, like, would you believe any of that? Of course you wouldn't. And so it's, it's easy to make fun of them. But on the other hand, it's like, well, but it does sound pretty far-fetched, you know? But I like that Traxler himself had a sort of healthy skepticism of both sides. Like, he, he, yeah. he didn't necessarily fully believe Reese. He wasn't automatically jumping to like give him the ability to set up a force or whatever to, you know, to, he wasn't giving Reese a whole bunch of things to do, but he wasn't making fun of him like the others were. And so I think he was maybe a little bit more prepared when the Terminator did show up and he did have that moment to sort of stand off against him. Yeah, for sure. Any other characters to talk about? I think we covered them all. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it for me. I mean, there's a, just, just to point out that I can't remember the name of his character in the film, Vukovic, it says on IMDb, but he, a couple years later in Aliens, would play a character. I don't remember what that character's name was. I don't know why I'm, I'm blanking here, but he was an important character in Aliens. So let me look it up here. Bishop, that's duh. Yeah, so he was the, uh, I'm not going to spoil that because we're not talking about that film, but he's an important <laughs> character there. So uh, a cameo appearance here, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and Bill Paxton has a cameo as well. He's very one of the, cameo. The punks yes. at the beginning. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't realize it until I looked it up. So, yeah. Uh, well, let's go ahead and talk about the music just a little bit. Now, this isn't one of those scores where I think we're going to have a whole lot of revelations <laughs> no. or anything like that. But I think it's worth playing a few clips and talking about just a little bit. So we've got the opening titles music right here. 
So I already know, TJ, that you're maybe not, you don't think this is a great score. It is iconic. But what I, what I like about what I hear here is that it, it doesn't feel, I'm trying to choose my words carefully because it's clearly dated in a certain sense, but it's not dated in a way that I think doesn't work for the movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. For my, for my personal taste, there's a little too much 80 synth going on in that score, and that dates it quite a lot. But I will say this for it, it fits with the theme of the movie. I like the melody of it, what melody we get. I like the percussion of it. It's very recognizable. You hear that, mm-hmm. do, 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 you know, da, da, da. like, you know what it is as soon as you hear it, and it works really well for that. So I'm not going to sit here in judgment of it. It's just not my, my favorite. I, I think that what I would also say, though, is that theme was, went on in, uh, I think it's 91 when the next one comes out, mm-hmm. and the same composer, but with, I think, more of bringing a, a more modern sensibility to it. Still has some synth in it, but it's an evolution of this score that then really elevates it. Uh-huh. So it was it was a precursor to something that comes on the scene later that is done even better. I think I read where the composer here, uh, Fidel Fidel, he wanted he was going for sort of a a machine's heartbeat, and you hear that in the percussion, and it's in a weird time signature. Yes. I think thirteen sixteen mm-hmm. is what I read, mm-hmm. and. Something that just occurred to me while playing the clip is that it actually kind of reminds me of the fighting Urukai from Lord of the Rings a little bit. Oh yeah, I can see that a little bit. There, there's it's certainly got the a weird mixed meter. Yeah, and then it's got the bum 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 bum. It's a similar thematic shape. Pretty cool. Yeah, the shape. You're right. You're absolutely right. That's a good good way to put it. The shape of it is similar. What I liked about the score, there's not a whole lot of themes to point out or pull away, but they were very consistent with the music that plays depending on who is on screen. Mm-hmm. So if there's not Reese or the Terminator on screen, it's a fairly typical orchestral score. And I've got a clip here where we first meet Sarah Connors and it's just basic piano stuff. I had to rip this from the movie. And so there's some other sound effects and stuff that you hear. Gotcha. This yeah. is her going to work and it's just plain piano. It's nice. It fits into 1984. It's, it's perfectly fine, and it holds up. There's no datedness to it because it's just piano. Yeah. But then uh, whenever Reese or the Terminator are on screen, we get that synthy, really cool, percussive kind of score. Mm-hmm. So I like that they're consistent with that. And then later, when we have the love scene between Sarah and Reese, we have a piano version of the main theme which is really cool story-wise i think it's probably the coolest thing i think the composer does because it's allowing reese to experience a normal human of the time moment and so you're combining the futuristic theme with the modern sensibilities of music and combining them so we have that combined together here and it's just two people having a normal human moment. So I I really love the marriage of those two musical ideas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I noticed that that theme was the same basic shape of the main theme. There's little Mm -hmm. hints of it on the piano there. Right. And the only other musical moment I had to mention, because I thought it was really cool, (laughs) is towards the ending when they have blown up the gasoline truck or whatever it is, the fuel truck. Mm, and mm-hmm. we think that the Terminator is dead. And once again, we get a version of the main theme that 
sounds like it might be played on French horn, but it might just be like a synth sounding like a French horn. It sounds like this. Might just be like a very mellow kind of synth. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're sort of celebrating, it's almost like a, a mourning the Terminator theme. And all of a sudden, as you would expect, here comes the Terminator rising out of the fire. So it's just an oh snap, he's not dead kind of moment. And yeah. so I really like that. No, it definitely takes a sharp turn and it, it sort of almost doesn't quite make you jump, but it definitely makes you look. And it's like, oh, oh, no, no. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I had to say about the music. Again, not not a whole lot of like thematic things or light motifs or anything to to explore like a Star Wars or Lord of the Rings score. But there, there's some interesting things that are happening and I, I, I like the main theme especially. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's go ahead and go into our impact section. Is there anything that, that lingers with you? Any less, I don't, I don't know if there's lessons to take away from this. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, only I think I mentioned it already. It's just, um, it's iconic. I think it had a lot of impact on sci-fi and both sci-fi and action films that would follow. Uh, particularly, I think the, the, the car chase scenes are uh, well done, especially for the budget and for the time. Like, the, I think that it, if you were to compare it to other films of the time, you would, you would be blown away. I mean, now car chase scenes are a dime a dozen, but at the time, I think they were much less well done and there was much less techniques of doing them. And a lot of them, I think, were developed here. I mean, just read again, I, I keep referring to the article on ASCMag.com. But if you read that article and look at the techniques that they were developing to do this, um, I think there was a lot of creativity that went into it because it was such low budget. And so I think it's had a lot of impact, a lot of lasting impact on the way both sci-fi and action films are done. I think those are the biggest things I take away from this movie or the way it sets up things to come. Again, I love Titanic. Avatar is a technical marvel, but I think this might be James Cameron's most creative and, quote, cool project. Oh, for sure. Especially considering that it came from his brain. Yeah. I, I can't be more impressed with that. This is such a cool idea. This and the sequel were both huge blind spots for me. Now it's just a sequel that I have to watch. But finally seeing this one has me super excited to watch and later talk about Terminator 2. And as far as like takeaways or like themes or whatever, I mean, it's not that kind of movie. There's the tropes of the dangers of technology that you would sort of expect from yeah. any sci-fi movie just about but you hinted towards this. I think the best thing this movie does, aside from set up a really good sequel, hopefully, is the creation of Sarah Connor mm -hmm. and bringing Linda Hamilton to the forefront and helping her to break into something that was so traditionally like a men's game. Yes. Action films were testosterone filled, mm -hmm. testosterone mm -hmm. fests. And here we've got a woman who is the central character and she is going to be the central action character in the next movie, I assume. And so I'm really looking forward to that. And I think that's, that's fantastic for James Cameron to have done something like that. As far as lessons, like I, there's actually, there is a lesson here. It's more of a lesson for the rest of cinematic filmmaking. One, one thing that I do enjoy about this film is that the plot is actually, once you understand, so initially you're a little confused, right? Because like who's doing what, what time period are we in? Where did they come from? But once you get past that, the plot of the film is easy to follow. Mm -hmm. And I find modern films often have convoluted plots. Even some of the films that I enjoy the best, their plots are a little too convoluted and hard to follow, and you got to watch three or four times to, to put it all together. This, I think mostly for the better, is it's very simple and easy to follow, and I like that a lot. It's economy of storytelling, yes. which I think that 
directors on a budget have to deal with. And it usually makes it a better product. I think if you have the right creative film director behind a project who's being limited by budget and has to come up with creative solutions to their problems or to get a, a, a thing across or an idea or make a special effect happen, I think that is sometimes the best thing you can do for a movie. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago with Jaws. I mean, the reason Jaws works so well is because it didn't work so well behind the scenes. And mm-hmm. Spielberg, being the great filmmaker he is, adapted and made changes. And it's a classic now because of those things he had to go through and because of the, the lower budget and the, well, maybe not a lower budget for Jaws, but the problems behind. And for James Cameron here, the lower budget ended up being, it forced him to be creative in how he told the story. And it's all the better. Well, and I think we even see with James Cameron, as with other filmmakers, when they start getting bigger budgets and, and less people are telling them no, it, it becomes less, right? I, I don't appreciate Cameron's newer work nearly as much as some of this older work. Like, he made a great Aliens film. He made two great Terminator films. And then I just don't think his work that has followed on as he's gotten more popular and, and had bigger and bigger budgets, I don't think it's been as good. So Yeah, so... <laughs> Well, any other final thoughts? I think that's it for me. I want to mention one thing. I haven't listened to this podcast yet, but when I posted on Facebook earlier that I was watching this movie for the first time, I had a friend, uh, Jacob Neff, who mentioned a podcast called The Blockbuster Podcast. And season two apparently features James Cameron. I, I don't know if it's talking about his complete filmography or if it's just talking about the making of this movie in particular. But I'm looking forward to checking that out because it's supposed to reveal a lot about the the making of this movie and problems face nice. and stuff like that. Yeah. So I wanted to plug that and I'll try and make sure to plug a link to the webpage or something for uh, the show notes. So if that's all we have to say about this movie, I think that is the end of the 93rd episode of Cinescope. Thank you for introducing me to it, TJ. You get to be the person who introduced me to Terminator. It was my pleasure. You know, anytime you and I start texting, I'm, I'm always like, what What can I introduce young, young Chad to? <laughs> <laughs> young, you know, young Jedi Chad. Yeah. And you know what? I think of all the people I've had on the show and repeat guests, I think you're the one who's introduced me to the most new stuff. Eric Skull has introduced me to one or two films I hadn't seen before, maybe three. Uh-huh. Uh, but good just taste. about every film we've talked about has been something that you've introduced me to. So thank you. And, and, and I think I have a pretty good batting average. I think you've enjoyed everything I've introduced you to. Yeah, so far. Good, good, good. I'm, I, I, feel like, I feel like you have good taste or I have good taste or something like that. Something like that, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, contact for the show, facebook.com slash Cinescope Podcast, at Cinescope Pod on Twitter. Uh, Go over to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. Those are all really helpful ways of things that you can do with not a lot of your time and none of your money to help the show out. (laughs) And if you have feedback and ideas, you can always email me directly, thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on the social media as well. I I, am on Twitter all the time. Um, And I... I want to go ahead and plug. I haven't plugged this in a while because I hadn't done anything with it for a while, but now it's been a few weeks of consistent episodes and consistent bonus content on the Patreon page for Cinescope, posting before and after conversations. Like TJ and I talked a little bit before we officially quote started the show, and we'll probably talk a couple more minutes after we close the show. And so I I post good conversation that happens before and after to the Patreon. I post unedited versions of the podcast for people who want it sooner. Ew, I don't want my, I don't want to be unedited. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) All right, I guess guess people will get over it. I guess I'll get over it. (laughs) And I'm trying to think of new ideas for the Patreon page. So 
I would love your support. This is a show I do in my free time. I do have a full-time career. Same. And so any support you can give financially just makes it easier to do this. I mean, I'm not going to stop doing this, but it makes it easier. <laughs> so I would appreciate that. You can find the link in the show notes. It's patreon.com slash Cinescope pod. Now that I've talked for too long, TJ, can you go ahead and plug your stuff? Well, I just want to say in support of you, I had a podcast that I did for 150 episodes and then I did another one for 25 or 30. I don't remember. I'd have to look. But I didn't want to stop. But because it wasn't making money, even though I enjoyed it, I have a family and mouths to feed and a house that I don't want to lose. I have to pay the, the mortgage. So I had to stop doing it. So if you want Chad to keep going and doing the awesome work that he's doing, make sure that you visit his Patreon. Thank you. Uh, as far as me, I am on Twitter at TJ Draper Pro. It is a stream of consciousness. So buyer beware. <laughs> um, <laughs> you will get all kinds of things from me. Uh, and hopefully maybe you'll like some of it. That's pretty much it for now. I know I was on the show last time I was talking about starting a podcast. That's not going to happen the way I wanted it to. We'll see. I'm talking about other things, but I'm going to be less specific this time. So <laughs> I'd like to start another <laughs> podcast. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's the curse of podcasting. You always want to do more. Yep. The best place to find my personal social media is on Twitter at Chadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. It was my other podcast in American Workplace where we talked about NBC's The Office episode by episode. You can find that where podcasts can be found and workplacepodcast.com. And again, I like to say we are still releasing bonus content, stuff that was formerly exclusive to Patreon that we are sort of drip feeding for the rest of the year. So there's still new discussion for that show coming every single week. Oh, oh, Chad, Chad, I just remembered something. Yes. I uh -huh. got moviebyte.com back online. Last time I was on the show, it was still not working and I hadn't taken the time to fix it. And I fixed it. It's, it's working and you can get all the uh, historic moviebyte.com podcasts and articles and things. Excellent. I will make sure to put that in the show notes for people who don't know. I mean, it's been, I don't know the last time we like specifically talked about our history together, but TJ and I co-hosted a podcast. It was TJ's podcast and I joined in episode 50 or so and did about 50 episodes of that show with him, but it was another movie show. We fun. talked about movie news and movie trailers and then movies. You can hear baby Chad podcasting. Yeah. Uh, my sound quality <laughs> has thankfully improved a whole bunch since then. <laughs> I'm sorry, TJ. <laughs> but yeah, there's a great archive of content there as well. So uh, show notes, contact information can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com for this show. So thank you, TJ. Always great talking with you, especially movies. Always enjoy talking with you too. And that is all for this week. Bye, everybody, and have fun and celebrate movies. Later. Yeah, hold on a second. Cat jumped up. Goodness. Okay. And all of a sudden, as you would expect, here comes the Terminator rising out of the fire. I wish I had timed that a little bit better, <laughs> but it's coming soon. Um, let me get my cat off my desk for a second. I'm sorry. <laughs> is being super obnoxious today. I might have to lock him in my bedroom if it keeps up. Yeah, okay. <laughs>